Hey, this is Jonathan Kaufman with Sweat the Details. Today we were joined by Jack Miller. Jack is president and CTO of T360, which offers a wide range of services to real estate brokerages, MLSs, and technology companies, including several research and product reviews, management consulting, and leadership development. Jack has nearly two decades of experience in the real estate industry. Today we talked about really the massive capital investment in the industry and what effects that's, that have, that's had. Uh, talked about some new different models, including the iBuyer phenomenon. And we talked about how real estate is really no longer an idea business, but it's more of an execution business. So here we go. So Jack, I mean, th- thanks for ta- thanks, thank you for taking the time today for you know, for getting together with our, our whole team here. Um, you know, you and I talked a little bit the other day about you know capital investments in in real estate, and you know, if you wouldn't mind speaking about so how much money, I mean, just the the volume of money coming into the real estate space over the last you know eighteen months, thirty six months, you know, what have you seen with that, and and where do you maybe forecast that going in the next couple of years? Yeah, so the past couple of years have seen just an unprecedented amount of investment capital come into the industry. Uh, and we're, we're talking about billions of dollars. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the majority of the investments have been in what's referred to as late stage capital, meaning this is capital that's being put into companies that are already established, uh, and that are in a growth phase. Uh, the two largest, uh, winners in that game have been Open Door and Compass, which have both secured, um, you know, several billion dollars between the two of them in order to grow and continue to build their businesses. There's still a lot of early stage capital being put in. Um, you know, there are hundreds of millions of dollars going into uh, smaller companies and startups, but the majority of it has been this late stage capital. Uh, and we haven't seen this level of capital investment in the industry uh, ever. It's, the, it's a record level. And Jack, with that, with this late stage capital, with these two brokerages that that you talked about open door and compass can you tell me a little bit about what the um what your thoughts are on you know those are clearly two different business models and and you know compass is not necessarily a new business model but just they're just trying to be better and different and and the iBuyer phenomenon is a is a new business model can you talk a little bit about those two models and and where you see those two going yeah so you know probably the 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 more novel of the two is open doors model, which is you know been referred to in the industry as either the i buyer or the direct buyer and this is the direct to consumer model where the company is using its capital or uh, or debt in order to purchase the home directly from the consumer uh and, and you can think of this as kind of a um you know a a, a, a we buy ugly houses that gone mainstream. Uh, that's really aiming after the kind of the, the, the mid market, uh, in residential housing. And, you know, what, there's enough money in this already between, and there's, there's several companies doing it. It isn't just open door. Um, there's open door, there's knock, there's offer pad. And there's enough money behind these companies where I think we're going to learn what the consumer appetite is for this kind of CarMax like model for real estate. Um, so, so it's, it, it's, I think it's it, it, there's enough money to run the experiment properly and to determine if the consumer really wants it. But it's very different from traditional real estate. Uh, some of the things that make it different besides just the direct purchase are uh, what these companies are doing are they're purchasing the housing, then they are taking on the cost of the make ready and preparation for market, and then they are staging it and offering it as almost like a new home. Uh, like it's, it's like a certified pre-owned kind of program where they are 
getting it all all uh, uh, done up properly, and then it's empty, so you can go and tour it at any time. And they are paying uh, they are pay- paying commissions to buyers agencies currently, um, so that's their that's their model. Uh, and it does offer some advantages that some consumers may want to take advantage of the fact that they can, you know, go to any of these companies and say, I want to sell the home and they can say, great, when do you want to close? <laughs> you know, that's an advantage. Right. Uh, and they get an offer usually within a day or two of exactly what they're going to receive. So they know, they know what they're going to get. They know when they're going to close and there's no showings, no risk. They don't have to do a make ready. They don't have to do all the things that you have to do in traditional real estate. So, that's I, I think that's that, that's some of the novelty of the model, but we're going to find out what the appetite is uh, for that. Uh, Compass is really what I think you know most people in the industry think of as a traditional model, in the sense that you know they are their commission structure is not radical uh, for the agent. Their their pricing structure for the consumer is again. Not radical. They're not. They're not discounting their commission. They're charging a you know a a, a market based uh, full service commission, and, um, and and they're offering you know tools and services to their agents uh, plus marketing and the brand. So it it looks a lot like a traditional brokerage. The the difference being the level of packaging and uh, the level of execution that they are that they're aiming for. You know they are they're. Uh, I think really doing a very strong job of pointing out all the things that they're doing with their technology and their marketing and their brand to support agents that are coming over. And then, of course, they've used a lot of their capital as incentives to bring people over. They've offered them stock options. They've offered them buyouts. Um, you know, they've both bought teams and then have moved into actually buying brokerage companies. So in, in, in many ways, it's like um, how HFS and, and, you know, the Realogy companies were put together in the 90s where there was a lot of acquisition to build those companies. They were built via acquisition. Compass is kind of doing that again, but doing it in a way that incorporates technology, marketing, brand, and staff support as core components of their value model to the realtor. So um, Compass has announced they're no longer going to be expanding into new markets. They're going to focus on growing their market share where they are. Uh, and that's probably a good thing. You know, They've spent a lot of money going into a lot of high-end markets. And they have some capital behind them, so I think again, they're you know, time is going to tell us how successful they're going to be, and whether or not agents that have come over are going to see the promises that they've been made actually borne out by the company. Um, so those are those are the two those are the two big ones right now. That's great. So I want to I want to dive in and maybe a few minutes into the um, maybe into the how the shifting market is going to affect um, the iBuyer um, direct mm. buy. Option, but what I want to do is maybe put you on the spot here for a second and circle back to the the uh, conversation we had about capital. Glenn Kelman with Redfin recently made a comment that there was too much capital in real estate. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and uh, and and see what you think about it. Well, there's definitely there's definitely I don't I don't know I don't know how to make the assessment of too much. It does feel like there's there is an excessive amount compared to historical trends in our industry in real estate. I mean, that it, it, if you look at it historically, it's the most money that's been put into the industry ever. ever. So, yeah. so, so, so is that too much? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know how you, how you make that distinction, but it is more than we've ever put into it before. Uh, it, and I do think it's notable. It isn't any, just one company. I mean, any one of the models that we could look at or any one of the, 
uh, areas for investment, you'll find multiple companies in those models. Uh, you're going to find multiple um, players that are all trying something different. So it, it isn't like one one company has taken a big leap and everybody's waiting to see how it's working out. It's several companies have um, to the tune of billions of dollars. So that that's the I, I think that's what's notable and different. It was just one one player that put a bunch of money in. You know, that's one thing. But when it's several, when it's the entire investment community, then uh, then that means it's, it's something different here. Maybe more of a trend. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe more, of more of a trend. Yeah. So so jumping back to the um, to this new concept of iBuyers, which is Open Door and OfferPad and and Knock, clearly a big part of their success is going to be based on how they can a buy the properties. You know, what what price can they buy the properties? And then at what price they can sell, right? This is pretty basic. Um, mm-hmm. But but talking about the sales price, they are going to be using, I'm assuming, AI and predictive analytics and an amazingly in-depth research team to, to determine those costs. And really, really, I, I would think taking what Zillow did with the Zestimate and trying to have it forecast pricing forward. Can you talk a little bit about about the process of, of if you know how they're going about that? And and then kind of along those lines about if I'm, if the market shifts and uh, we're not necessarily in a rising market anymore, if the market shifts and prices fall, um, how you think that would affect them? Well, I, I think that we've seen any of these new models, and, and Red, Redfin is no exception. You know, new models come into the market, and then they have to encounter the changing market. Uh, and that's where we've seen companies come in and said, oh, we're, we're going to offer this kind of a discount, or we're going to offer this kind of a pricing model. And then the market shifts, and they move into a down market, uh, or the market goes flat, and they may have to adjust the way that they do pricing. Um, and they're certainly, for these for these companies that are predicated on a um, buy and kind of buy and flip or buy and resell model, if the market slows down, it, they're going to have to adjust. Um, now, how, how they're going to do that, that's going to be up to them. You know, how they want to price that in uh, is... You know, it just it depends on how they work it. Uh, some of these companies, they're not as they may not be as predicated on the pricing as much as the fee they charge the consumer. So, if a consumer is willing to pay ten percent as opposed to a six percent commission uh, in a slowing market in order to to sell the home and move on, uh, they may still have a, a very viable business model there because then they're they're not as dependent on the on the final sales price. Uh, they can they can you know, make their money on the fee. So there's some flexibility in their model for how they how they are going to make up the margin. Jack, is there enough data at this point, even with any of these companies, to look at what kind of discount they are looking to to buy the houses for, what that, that initial upfront purchase is to market value? Uh, we haven't completed any analysis of that, so I don't have any I don't have any data about the differences between the purchase amounts for these companies versus, um, you know, the fee they charge versus, you know, that that's all kind of internal to, you, we'd have to be inside their books to know, right? You'd have to see, well, what did they charge the consumer and what did they buy the house at? What did they sell the house at? I, I don't think, I, I really think at this point, they're the only ones that have that data. Um, the MLS would tell us some, uh, and we can look at that. Now, what you can tell from the MLS is uh, the level of market share, which we did do some, some market share uh, study uh, for a, it was a private study that we did, uh, and what I can tell you is they've they've definitely grown market share over the last you know three to four years, especially in core markets where they've opened up with this model, such as like Phoenix and Dallas. These are areas where 
they've, they've absolutely taken a significant amount of market share, not a dominant market share, but it's significant. It's notable. That's great. So clearly, right, our industry is shifting, right? This is probably true with any industry. We focus a lot on uh, Ed Ness's paying attention to other industries out there, whether we've had conversations with uh, people in the beer industry and people in the restaurant industry and people in tech and paying attention. And I, I don't think there's anybody in 2019 that will sit there and say, no, my, my industry is stagnant. Um, we know technology is coming in um, to every, every segment of, of real estate. And bro as new brokerage models come up, brokerages out there need to pay attention to how they're running a business. As you work with a lot of brokerages, which you do, you work with brokerages large uh, in the U.S., large in Canada, small in the U.S., small in Canada. Um, you're you have your finger on the pulse in a lot of different um, a lot of different corners of the of the industry. What's your overall take, or what, what's your recommendation when when brokers come to you and say, "Where should I spend my time? How should I invest my resources to continue to to, to build my brokerage?" Well, it's, it's a great question. Um, before we jump into that, there's there's one model we haven't talked about that you think we should talk about first sure. that will help provide some color to, to, to that answer because it, um, you know, the, the the fastest growing models right now are actually ones that don't have this, you know, VC Wall Street capital necessarily behind them, uh, which are these uh, flat fee or transaction fee brokerage models. Uh, and these are companies like, Realty One Group and HomeSmart, um, JPAR and Associates, Atlantic Communities, uh, you know, Silver Creek and Boise. Like, uh, there, there's a, a number of these companies that are predicated on uh, usually a, a, a monthly or annual fee and a per transaction fee charged to the realtor. And then the realtor does, you know, whatever they do with their consumer. They charge a kind of a market rate fee or they charge a premium fee or they charge a discount fee. They can do whatever they want, but their, their costs are uh, fixed based around that transaction fee and their membership fee. Mm. And that, that model in particular, it doesn't have a ton of capital behind it. Um, there's one publicly traded company, um, that has, is somewhat similar in terms of the way that they, it's not exactly that, but it's close, which is EXP Realty. Mm. Um, but these kind of low cost, low, meaning low cost of the realtor models are the ones that we're seeing, you know, grow tremendously right now. And, and those models are different because they don't have, they're not charging a premium fee to the realtor. Um, any things that they offer by necessity out of their model have to be an upsell. So, that, so hey, if you want coaching, you have to pay for coaching. If you want training, you have to pay for training. If you want additional tools and systems and support, you have to pay for those things because it's, it's generally not, it's not built into the low fee model. So, so that's one that, uh, just to round out some of the new models and what's going on, so that's sort of an, talk about that one. So that's sort of an a la carte uh, brokerage model. I mean, it is in, and the, in the, and the follow up to that is, do you have any sense of to, you know, training? I mean, training is, is huge is, you know, from a ongoing professionalism capacity. Do you have any sense as to what percentage of those agents are taking advantage of and paying for, for, for training, for example? You know, it, it depends a lot on the culture of the company that you're talking about, you know, like uh, Fathom uh, Realty, which is based in another one that's based in Texas and runs on that model. Um, they do a lot of training. Uh, and that's part of, that is something they consider as part of their value proposition. So a number of these companies, um, you know, if they, if the, if the training is good, people will buy it. Uh, we've seen that. I mean, that's why there's a very healthy, you know, multi, multi, multi million dollar coaching and training industry built around real estate. Uh, and we've seen real estate companies such as Keller Williams 
run an entire revenue line that is very substantial just on the training and coaching aspects of this industry. So this is one where, you know, if the training is good, people will buy it. Uh, if it's, if it's a, if it's a, just a check the box kind of training, just so you can say you have training, people don't, are not going to pay for that. So it's got to right. be really good. If it's really good, people will buy it. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's good insight. That is a, a trend that's growing. And maybe I'll, uh, I, I do want to jump back to my question here in a few minutes, but Absolutely. also want to get your take along those lines. Um, recently at Inman Connect in New York a few weeks ago, Jeff Detweiler, Detweiler with Long and Foster um, was on stage and made a comment that these um, brokerages that weren't offering office space and direct broker support, he, I think he, uh, he said they were uh, ruining the industry to a certain extent, and that a brokerage, you know, I'll pick on EXP, which has clearly been a very successful uh, uh, company um, for the past couple of years, they have got one broker, certain states they have one broker in the state and five, six, seven, eight hundred agents. So the broker support isn't quite there. What's your take on on that and, and on the, the comment from the Long and Foster exec? You know, I and I respect Jeff a ton. I mean, he's built an amazing company, has done some great work for Long and Foster, um, and and has a you know, he has a perspective based on the value proposition of the company he's at and, and, and good for him. You should have a value, you should have a perspective, right? So the, the industry uh, offers a lot of different things because agents at different points in their career have different needs. And if you have been, if you've been an agent and you've been running a team and you've been doing it for a decade, a decade and a half, your need for broker support is different than an agent that is just starting out in their career or is maybe in the first three to four or five years, right? So an experienced, seasoned real estate agent that has been doing this for a while may not find the same value in the office space provided, the staff support, the, you know, the broker support that a newer agent or an agent that just, you know, likes to be in that environment. So I, I think we're in a time both in the consumer space and in the agent space of tremendous choice uh, for real estate agents where agents can say, well, wh what do I really need and want from my broker? What do I really value? Who are the people that I want to be with? And they, and they have, they have choices that you can make. And if it's like, Hey, I don't value the office. Um, I know the business I work and I don't have, I don't have a ton of need for broker support. Uh, then a virtual option might make a lot of sense for you. Or you may, you might live in an area where it's just terribly inconvenient to have to drive, right? You might just want to go meet your clients at the Starbucks and go show them homes or go take the listing and you would never step into a broker's office anyway. And there's a lot of agents in that situation right now. So. I, I think there's a lot of choice, uh, and not, not this is not a one-size-fits-all industry from the agent and, and from the consumer perspective. Yeah, that's great. No, and I agree. I think that's a great way of putting it. Is, a, is there's there's choice there. So speaking of choice, if if I'm a, you know, as as you work with a lot of brokers and brokers are um, trying to figure out how to navigate the waters in the industry today, how do you how do you recommend to brokerage broker owners and 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 brokerages where to invest time? resources with so many options out there, right? There's so many technology options. There's so many business model options. It becomes, to a certain extent, there could be some analysis paralysis and what's my next step to, to, to do with my brokerage. So what's your, what's your process for taking a broker through the, uh, the decision-making process of, of how, to, how to continue to build their brand? For sure. It, you know, a lot of it depends, uh, and there's, a, there's, many, there's many paths. You know, there's many paths, as you said. There, you can get into analysis paralysis about what to do. 
you know, the, the first segment I'll talk to is if you look at the, at what I consider to be the traditional brokerage model where you have a broker that provides a fair amount of services, support, marketing, and brand for their agents. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the, their model and they charge a, a commission to the agents that it reflects that, that allows them to support all of those things like the staffing, the marketing, the branding, the advertising, the things that they do in order to have the company run well. In, in that situation, brokers in that situation need to focus on execution. They need to focus on doing a few things really well. Uh, they need, you know, their, maybe their website is something they focus on. Maybe their print marketing. Maybe they're community events, but they need to pick a few things and do them really well so that the agents can clearly feel the value of what they're doing. You know, so if you're, if you are offering, if you're a, a value oriented model in the sense that your brokerage provides value to your agents, you need to do things so well that the agents go, yes, that's really valuable to me. It's helping me grow my business and I want more of it. If where I see people struggle is when they offer things just to check the box where they say, well, yeah, we've got a CRM. Nobody really uses it, but we've got one. We provide our agents websites. They're ugly and terrible, you know, or yeah, we have, we have marketing. It, it hasn't been overhauled in a decade. Like that's, that's where, that's where you're in troubled waters. If your value proposition is that you actually are providing value to the agent. So for that kind of broker, you know, that's where you need to be focused. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're a transaction fee broker or, uh, one of those business models, you need to have a lot of agents. And so your message is very simple. Uh, we're less, you know, we're less expensive to run your business on. So come over, run our business on our platform and it's less expensive. You can keep more of the money and then, which by the way, that means the agent has to take more of the risk, but you can keep more of the money so that you can do your own marketing or do your own systems or buy your own technology or manage your own staff. Right. So that, that's how that model works, but you got to have a lot of people to make that model work. So, um, so those, I mean, those are a couple of examples of, the sorts of choices that you know brokers are making, or or should be making about you know which business model they're in and what things to focus on. From from a value perspective, I mean, have you seen again looking at your 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 wide lens, if you will, from a from a value perspective, what do you see as some of the the highest return on investment for the brokerages to offer to the agents, where the agents and, and not just financial from an agent perspective, but also. You know, emotional cultural response, if you will. Yeah. So um, there, there are certain things that in our broker programs we tend to recommend because they are they, they do provide a, a high return to a to a brokerage. Uh, and you know, one of those is is really good branding and marketing, uh, which is hard to do, but is a doesn't have an incremental cost. You know, once you if you do a good job of designing and building your brand and creating good, good marketing, that will scale. You can, if you build good marketing, it works as well for 10 agents as it does for 50 or a hundred agents. So it's one of these things where, uh, uh, you know, doing a good job with brand and marketing, uh, things like, uh, stay in touch programs and past client programs and sphere programs where you support agents staying in touch with their sphere and network tend to be very economical. So if you, if you do great content for them, you create a great, you know, company email campaign, uh, print campaigns and events, like those are very strong from a return perspective, because again, you're, you can keep your costs uh, fairly low, uh, and you can deliver it to, uh, you know, 10 agents, 50 agents, hundred agents, 300 agents. It, it, it scales fairly well. Um, 
those those are the kinds of things that we see that are high return for most brokerages are those kinds of programs. Uh, things like technology, a lot of that is driven by who you're competing with and how you want to position in a market. You know, there's some markets where it's very important to position where you provide a lot of technology to the agents or they have, they have, you know, a lot of tools or they have maybe a specific kind of tool, uh, that's based around the business model you run. So, so it's usually, that's usually tied up in how the brokerage actually operates and what market, what the market competition looks like is with regard to tools. Jack, that's that's all fantastic, and and thank you. The the one question I've got coming off of that is that are there certain services that you think brokers genuinely truly want to offer their agents? They see it internally. The brokers see this as as value, um, but they're having a difficult time being able to provide back to the agents that they they want to do, but they just haven't been able to figure out how to do it. Yeah, I mean. Um uh, uh, there's a lot of things that we've seen people spend a lot of time trying to do like that. I mean, one of them um, that I'd say is is a struggle for a lot of brokers is providing like consistent lead programs for agents that are cost effective and work well. And that's because the industry has tried the experiment of let's buy a bunch of leads and let's give them to our agents. <laughs> like that did not go right. well. Didn't <laughs> that did not go well. Didn't work. And so the next step beyond that is let's let's acquire leads and then let's convert them uh, and then we'll hand out you know basically referrals to agents for the agents to go work and that works for some brokers but it's it's uh it's it's hard to do because you have to you have to develop an expertise you have to have a call center or you have to have uh, a, a group of agents that are part of an e-team you have to do something a little bit different and while there are absolutely successes in that space, um, it's harder to execute. Right. Uh, and, and it's, you know, a lot of brokers will struggle with that. Again, not saying not to do it, but it's just one of the ones that we've seen people struggle to do well. The ones that do it well, it's amazing because they can charge a 25 or 30 percent internal referral fee for that business, which they have earned. Well, and done it, the hard work. And it is one of the items that the agents are looking at their brokers saying, what are you providing in this in this area? I mean, it's. If I'm going to come work for you, and if I'm going to share my split, I want leads in return. Right. Yeah, and that right. is one 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 aspect of you know as as we have built our brokerage over the past ten years um, from a recruiting standpoint, and also from a retention standpoint, having a tangible uh -oh. having. Uh -oh. I just got a little hiccup there in the audio. Okay, that's good. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, and from a retention standpoint, agents like and this is just agents. This, People in general like something that's tangible. So being able to say, "I'm I'm giving you leads," or "I'm um, you know here here's a sphere marketing program." Um, it's a you know it's a great it's a great comment, Jack, about that. So you know as as we wrap up here, Jack, I think one thing that we'll uh, definitely take from this conversation is focus. You know, as a brokerage, focusing on um, the value proposition that you're giving to uh, to your agents. Um, and drilling down on that a little more, I just have one more question. Um, what you know, this podcast is sweat the details, so we focus a lot at, at Nest on on the details of the of the business, whether it's design or or the services or technology or branding that we have. As you meet with a lot of brokerages, if you could boil things down to just kind of one or two details that you'd say a broker owner just really has to um, has to focus on, what would those one or two details be? Well, I mean, the, the first thing is pick one or two things that you're going to be really excellent at. Don't try to do 
you know, 50. Don't try to do five. Like, pick a few things and make that based on your competitive market. What do you need to do in your market to stand out and have a competitive value proposition? And just do that. You don't have to do all that other stuff. You know, you don't have to do 20 things. Focus on the ones that give you that competitive advantage and execute, execute, execute. You know, real estate is not, it's not really a game of ideas. Real estate is really a game of execution. And that's, that's where I think, you know, that's where you need to focus. And then the thirdly is, in order to execute, you need good people. And so get, and that is something I think all brokers can use broadly as a competitive value proposition is good staff and good management. Like that is an area to focus because if you want to do a few things well and you need to execute, you've got to have good people. And so that's just, it's a simple formula. The specifics of it play out differently depending on your competitive market, which, you know, is different from place to place and from broker to broker. That's fantastic. Jack, thank you for that. And uh, I think you've given us quite a bit to chew on. Um, but I'll say thank you for your time. Really, truly appreciate you making the time to to get to, to call in and to t- chat with Keith and Jonathan and myself. And uh, thank you very much and hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, great awesome. conversation. Great points. Thanks again. Jack, thanks for great. all your time. Thanks, Jack. You're welcome.